The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Well, I love history. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't consider myself a history expert in any in any shape or form. But I do love history. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, I was that geeky. Kid. Well, I was that geeky kid. Period. I told you guys that before. But I was that geeky kid. Like, I, I actually, we had a we had an old set of World Book encyclopedias. Kids, that was where before the internet. That's where we put information in this volume of books. And we had an old set of World Book encyclopedias, and I actually pull the encyclopedia down sometimes when I was bored and just read through it. Now, again, it was an old set, so some of that information was even outdated for that time, but I was just like, hey, let's see what's going on in L today. And I pull down L and just start reading. I, I was that geeky kid. I loved history. I would, I would, in our history textbook in school, I would read ahead because I was just so excited. I wanted to see what was going on. The American Revolution, this is pretty cool. Or in World War II, I particularly loved World War II because it's an incredibly fascinating time. And I was thinking about that last night. Uh, in that time period, uh, the, the world was coming off of a, an incredibly, incredibly tough run. They had just had what we now call World War I, but they didn't know it was just part one of a series. Sort of like you, you go to Iron Man, you didn't know it was going to be Iron Man 2 until you get to the end. You know, or or the, you see the box office like, oh, there's going to be a number two and a three and they're going to run it as long. But they didn't know it was going to be a sequel. It was just World War. It was the Great War, they called it. Because all of Europe and the whole world was just upside down because of this thing. The, the, the world, war, world War I was an incredible time because it was, the first, it was the first war in a wide scale where disease and famine weren't the largest killers of the people that were involved. It was the actual weaponry itself. Weaponry had, had, had advanced so much that, it, that all of a sudden it wasn't just about being stuck in a winter and you, your people died. It was from actual bullets and cannon shots and fire. It was incredible. And in World War I, there were 37 million casualties, 16 million deaths, 20 million wounded. That's an incredible number. So Europe got out of World War I, they thought, they thought we never want to do that again. Some time passes, and a guy comes on the scene in, in Germany, you might have heard of him, his name was Hitler. And he starts to turn the world, I mean, it's like, it is, like, everybody is crazy and scared because it looks like we could be going down that path again. And there was a guy named Neville Chamberlain, who actually was a kind of a pretty good guy, but he became the Prime Minister of England, of Great Britain. And all of Europe just didn't want to go back to war again. They didn't want, because they, they still, the, the gunshots and the explosions rang in the ear. They didn't want to go back there again. And so Neville Chamberlain came up with this plan. He said, Let, I'm going to communicate with Germany. I'm going to communicate with Hitler. I'm going, to, I'm going to, in fact, if he won't come to me, if he won't meet me somewhere, I will go to Germany and sit down with him and talk with him. And we'll figure out a way to keep this thing from going to war. And so he went and he met with Hitler and he said, okay, I, I know that you, you've, you've taken Austria and we don't really like that. But if you won't go to war, then we can have peace. 
Uh, okay, no, no, I know you want part of Czechoslovakia. How about if we give you, if we, if we turn our, our eyes away, we turn our heads, and we let you have this piece of Czechoslovakia where three and a half million Germans live, then, like, well, could we be okay then? And Hitler said, absolutely. He even signed a paper. Neville Chamberlain came home on uh, September 30th, 1938, with a piece of paper in his breast pocket called the Anglo-German Agreement, where Hitler said, if you let me have Czechoslovakia or this part of Czechoslovakia, we'll call it all square and nothing bad will happen. And in fact, the story goes that after he signed the paper, Hitler did, and Neville Chamberlain left, one of his top aides said, what are you doing? Because he knew that Hitler had a greater plan. Hitler said, hey, don't worry about that. I, don't, I just signed the paper. I don't, I don't really mean it. So Neville Chamberlain came home, got off the plane, waved the paper, and he, he said, he had a, a, a quote, he said, we have peace for our time. Because he had signed a paper agreement. A couple days later, Hitler invaded Czechoslovakia, and it was on from there. Hitler never looked back. Poland was next to fall, and then you guys know the story. The end of the day, they thought World War I was, was terrible, with 37 million casualties, 16 million deaths. World War II, between 60 and 85 million people died in World War II. Two and a half percent of the world's population died in World War II. Sixty million of those deaths were direct, directly related to battles, to war. Another 20 to 25 million deaths were related to famine and starvation that was related to the war that was going on. 60 to 85 million people died in World War II. But Neville Chamberlain, and he gets like ridiculed for this now, he and his boys, they wanted peace so much that they decided they were going to appease Hitler just in order to try to get peace. The problem was, Hitler wasn't the kind of guy that really meant anything when he signed on the dotted line. He said, we're going to have peace. He was after them. He was after the whole continent, and he was going to have his way. A peace, appeasement in the face of an enemy always costs you. Appeasement in the face of an enemy always costs you. It always does. Every battle, every war that has been, that has been waged has been waged because... Uh, a decision was made. A decision was made that comfort and security of peace were not worth the alternative anymore. Every battle, every war that has been waged, a decision was made that the comfort and security of, of, of peace wasn't worth the alternative anymore. Every single one. A decision has to be made that the comfort and security of peace is not worth the alternative. See, when Neville Chamberlain sat across from Hitler, he had the gunshot still ringing in his ear. And he said, I will have peace at any cost. I will do whatever I have to do. I will make whatever deal I have to make as long as we can have peace. As long as we can have peace. But it cost him in the end because Britain wasn't preparing for war. That Winston Churchill was yelling on the sidelines saying, it's coming, it's coming. The war is coming. It's going to be terrible. We need to prepare. But they were not prepared because they were facing so much attention on appeasing Hitler. 
If you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10. Paul is closing out this letter to the church around Ephesus with a call to them. With a call to them to not forget that the church is in a battle. That the church has a mission that is going on. And that the mission is a battle. Finally, so he's finishing out the letter. He said, laid out all this whole grandiose picture in chapters 1 through 3 about, I said it wasn't chapters 1 through 3, it's just the first half of the letter at the time. The first half of the letter laid out this grand picture of God, excuse me, God's marvelous plan to, to, to through the church, save the world. In the second half, he's laying out saying that if you have been changed, if you become a believer, then your life is going to look different. And this is what your walk is going to look like. And now he says, finally, verse 10, finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Why is he saying that? He's saying that because the life of a believer, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, life for you is a mission. And that mission, the stakes are cosmically high. If you here this morning are a believer, then you are, your life is a life on mission. Whether you want to believe it or not. Whether you want to accept it or not, whether you'd rather be have peace and comfort and security, you have to accept the fact that life is a battle. Life is a mission. It's what's been playing out throughout all of history. In fact, before human history even rolled out, yet God, awesome, amazing, wonderful. He's got this angel, and this angel causes this coup to go on inside heaven. We call him Satan now, but at the time his name was Lucifer. Like that means something bad now, but like at the time it meant he was. He was second only in beauty to God Himself. It said he had a he, he like he was the worship leader. You know, worship leaders always causing trouble around. They are always causing trouble. He was the worship leader in heaven. He gets some boys around him and says, "Hey, God's nothing. We can take him. Look how awesome I am. Let's let's take him on." He takes on God. Things go bad. He gets kicked out because it's a very faulty battle plan. If you're going to battle like the one who is omnipotent and omniscient. Like, it's kind of a, a silly plan, but that was his plan. Gets kicked out of heaven. Next thing we see, he's in, on earth. Adam and Eve, perfect in the garden. We've been going over the story the past few weeks. Perfect in the garden. He pops up. He says, you know, God's just jealous of you. That's why he said you can't eat this apple on this tree. I know it's not apple, but whatever it was. A pomegranate, a pineapple, a kiwi. Can't be kiwi. That, I don't think that would look good. It's kind of hairy on the outside. But whatever it was, hang on the tree. They pick it and eat it. It all goes bad because of Satan. Satan's been waging a war against God Almighty throughout all of eternity. And we are the people that get caught up in the middle of that. And we chose a side early on. We chose the wrong side. But, but a savior came, a hero came, rescued us from the wrong side. If you're in here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been rescued from the wrong side and pulled to the right side. And because of that, you have a bullseye on the back of your head every single day. Every morning when you wake up and the first thing you're thinking about is getting to the, getting to the bathroom and having a cup of coffee or a, a diet Mountain Dew if you're Dale or whatever the case may be, like you're, whatever it is that you got on your site set, you're just thinking like, I'm going to cut on the Today Show or I'm going to, whatever you're like, I'm, I'm hungry for some bacon, what's that smell? Like, you know, whatever you, you have going on, just kind of innocent, just kind of ease into the day, you already have a bullseye on the back of your head. Not because you're amazing, 
not because you're awesome, but because you have been adopted into the family of the king, the enemy, the sworn enemy of Satan himself. And every single person in your family, every single person around you shares that bullseye in the back of their head. He's got a plan for every single person in this room, every single one of your neighbors, every single person you pass on the road, every single person that you, that, that, uh, you work with. He's got a plan for all of them. And his plan is to thwart God's purposes for them. That's his plan. And you, as a believer, got a bullseye right back in the back of your head. Your life is a life on mission, and the stakes are cosmically high. Because it has to do with the eternal destiny of your soul and the eternal destiny of the souls of everybody around you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. See, not only as a believer is your, do you have a life on mission the stakes are cosmically high, but there is an enemy. There's an enemy. I heard a guy one time, he said, uh, you know, God's been writing a story throughout history. It's a really fascinating story where he's the hero when there's a bad guy and, you know, we're, we're extras in the mix. We get caught back and forth. We're, we're the damsel in distress and things are going on. And, and you and I know that as believers. How many of you guys, like, know that? You know that, like, Satan is the enemy. Anybody? Let me just see your hand. I mean, you don't have to read it, but let me, if you know, like, Satan's the enemy, okay? But how many of you live like you have an enemy? How many of us actually live like there's an enemy of your soul who is seeking your destruction? Like, what if you knew that you had a neighbor who wasn't just like, I have like kind of a, we we have two neighbors, we have a neighbor on each side, and we have like the really nice neighbors that call themselves like aunt and uncle to Sophia and Landon, even though they're not related. And then we have the neighbors on the other side that are just a little bit different. Uh, at times could creep you out a little bit. But what if you, instead of just had that weird neighbor, that obnoxious neighbor, what if you knew the person who lived directly beside you had it out for you and wanted to kill you? Wanted to steal your wife, steal your husband, steal your car, steal your girlfriend, boyfriend, steal your kids, destroy them, burn your house down. And bury you in the backyard. Like, what if you thought that's like your neighbor was like that? <laughs> I'm sorry, but what if, what if that was the, what if that was the case? Would you? How would you live your life? Would you be pretty watchful? Would you be paying attention to what they're doing over there? Would you set up defenses between your house and their house? Would, would you? Would you hire somebody? Like, what would you do if you knew that your neighbor had it out for you? Do you and I live that way? Like there's an enemy of your soul that has it out for you and your family, whose desire is your eternal destruction, whose desire is the eternal destruction of your entire family and all your friends and your neighbors and your business associates, everybody around you. He has it in for them. There is an enemy and his forces are arrayed to keep you in the dark. 
His forces are arrayed that in the Myrtle Beach area, I've heard a trusted guy tell me this stat, and I'm going to repeat it because I trust this guy, though I do not know where he got this stat. So I know it could be faulty, but this guy I know who I really trust says that 70% of people in the Myrtle Beach area don't go to church. I feel that's probably not far off. Maybe it's 60. But certainly a majority of the people in the Myrtle Beach area are, are, don't go to church. Look, you don't, have to be, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you're not involved in a local church, I wonder what's going on with you. Like something's not quite right going on there. And his, the forces of our enemy are arrayed to keep every single person in the Myrtle Beach area in the dark. Separated from God. Let's keep on. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I mean, that's kind of, I got to be honest, as, as a modern American, when I read those two, uh, that, that verse, when I read that verse, verse 12, I, I have to tell you, like, I feel like that's a little bit of spiritual mumbo jumbo, quite honestly, sometimes. Like, I feel like that, that sounds like it's over, over the top. But you know what? That's part of the plan. Is that you and I would forget. You and I would not think like that's what's really going on. That there are forces arrayed. It's not just like Satan who's like behind the, 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 the curtain like the Wizard of Oz. But there are actual powerfully demonic, dark forces arrayed against us as believers. And against your friends, your family members that don't know Jesus, they're arrayed to keep them in the dark, to keep their eyes closed. We don't live most of the time like there's a mission or there's an enemy. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. So not only do you have an enemy of your soul, and that could be kind of scary. Like I told you the story, like if you, if you, had, if, if you had that neighbor that's, that's got it in for you, like that weird psycho neighbor I just described, and there was fire and burying your backyard and going after your wife and kids and everything. Like, like if you had that kind of enemy neighbor, well, what if I told you, not only do you have that kind of enemy neighbor, but you have been given every single bit of weaponry, every single bit of defenses that you need in order to keep your family safe from them. So even though that, that, that enemy of yours lives feet or yards from your house, I, you have been given by, a, I've hired a, the army, I've hired one of those like very expensive uh, private contractors that go to Kuwait and charge the government like $8 billion to, to do something. Like I've hired a company like that full of ex-Marines, ex-Navy SEALs who, who have come to your house and have set up everything that you need in order to keep your house safe. I've given you all the troops that you need in order to keep your house and your family safe. That's what he's saying. Not only is there an enemy of your soul, but you've been given everything that you need in order to protect yourself. You have been equipped. You haven't been sent out into the battle, into the mission empty-handed. You haven't been sent exposed. You haven't been sent like, uh, like just a, 
of just floundering out there into the darkness, into the middle of the battlefield. You have been, you have been given every single thing you need in order to keep yourself safe. And not only just to keep yourself safe, but to, but to engage in the battle itself. Let's read this scripture. We're not going to go into details whenever he describes the, the armor of God this morning. Uh, we're just going to take a, a flyover. Uh, there's a, a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote 720 pages on the armor of God. There's another guy who was like a, a Puritan. He wrote 1,500 pages on the armor of God. So like you could make, you, there's a whole lot of stuff you could say about this. We're going to take the big fly over here. Let's start in verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, Having fastened on the belt of truth. So whenever he's describing the, the armor here, it obviously would be different than what the, uh, you know, we have Humvees and we have all kinds of crazy stuff that, that our troops put on. But this was state-of-the-art uh, equipment at the time. This, he's describing the equipment of a Roman soldier. And he says, having put on the belt of truth. And so it would be sort of like a, a bit of the, like the armor underwear that would be under everything, and you would pull it tight, and it would, it, would, it would hold everything hold everything in tight, hold everything together, keep everything together. You would be ready. You know, like, was it say, tighten your belt? Well, that can be too, like, you tighten your belt because you're, like, you're hungry and you want to tighten your belt and make your stomach feel, like, less, you know. Or it can also mean, like, I'm going to tighten my belt, I'm going to get after this. Because uh, I don't know if, like... Uh, I, I, I don't, have I mentioned to you guys before I've been losing some weight? I've lost some weight recently. Yeah. And, and my, my clothes are starting to get a little, a little loose. And so like this, I didn't, you should not have to think about like putting on a belt before because the pants were staying up just fine. If I could get them on, they were, they were holding up you know, quite all right on their own. But now, like, if I'm going to, like, come in here this morning, we got to move equipment and move stuff and take stuff out of the trailer and in the trailer. And if I don't put a belt on, it's very possible somebody might get a sight of something that they possibly don't want to see. <laughs> you, you, uh, if you're kind of you moving around, you got loose pants going on, like, you, you can't really move and, and get around like you need to. You, like, you're trying to get on the dance floor and you, you want to you show some people your moves. You can't move around. You like my dance moves? There's more where this came from. I just keep it right here. Slow jam. Keep it right here. But you can't do much more than this if your pants are kind of loose. Because you're wondering, like, you're always trying to hold them up, pull them up. The, 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 uh, the other day, a couple weeks ago, I wore some of my, my old shorts somewhere. Uh, it was at Disney World. And, and uh, it, was, it was a bad move because I wore the shorts. I didn't have a belt on. And so I spent half the day holding my shorts out like this and pulling Landon and pulling them back from like jumping over the edge of things and pulling them here and pushing the carriage. And every time I tried to move, I had to pull my pants. Like, I, I couldn't, didn't feel comfortable. Couldn't get around because I had to pull them up. If you, but you got your belt tight, you can get around. <laughs> Huh? Do this, got my belt on, get some moves going on. Like that? You like that online? Oh, there's a lot more. There's a lot more that comes from. But you can get around. You, you can. Uh, we played football yesterday. I wouldn't be able to play football in, in some loose pants. It, it was ugly football. It was two on two, and uh, I'm still. I'm feeling. I'm embarrassed to say. I'm feeling it right, right in here, and right back into this area. Um, a little sore. Um, and it wasn't 
We didn't play very long. <laughs> it was very embarrassing. But I would not have been able to do that if I, if I had loose pants on. Um, but I digress. Um, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Having fastened on the belt of truth. How are you tightening your belt? What is truth? Somebody asked Jesus one time and he said, Oh, no, no, Jesus was praying to God. He said, your word is truth. There's a lot of other truths around. There's a lot of people wanting to define reality for you. I read before that the job of a leader is to define reality for its, for its followers. There's a lot of people trying to define reality for you. Trying to tell you what is true and what is not. What you need to focus on and what you need to not focus on. But our leader has told us what we need to focus on. How are you tightening your belt? What do you believe about things? What's your filter for life? Is your filter for life your opinions? Is your filter for life how you think about things? How you think about your, your interaction with your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, children, coworkers? Does that filter through like just like what people around us say is acceptable and not acceptable? Or are you tightening the belt of truth around you and see what does our leader say? Stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know what that means? That means that whenever, you, whenever you're going out there, you're going out in life. And, and, and some of us here, most of us would fall into one side of the map or the other. Some of us in here are naturally pretty confident about ourselves. Like we think, if, maybe we wouldn't even say it out loud because it's not, not polite, but if somebody gave us truth serum, we would think, you know what? I'm kind of a good guy. I'll be honest, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> I, I, I got this together. And some of this, by nature, or by, because of our background, we're sort of on the other side. We're always feeling bad about ourselves. Always unsure of ourselves. Uh, always looking for affirmation. Always not sure what's going on. We feel, we feel like we're the lowest of the low. But whatever side of the map you fall on, you, when it, you know, what you're doing is you're trusting in your own righteousness. On this side of the map, you're not confident at all in yourself. On this side of the map, you're very confident in yourself. But either way, you're trusting in your own righteousness, your own ability to have right standing with the people around you and or with God himself. And to fast in the breastplate of righteousness means that I am going to, by tightening that belt of truth, I'm going to immerse myself. I'm going to change the way I'm thinking and not think about myself as if I'm the lowest of the lower and the highest of the high. Because either of those are based upon my abilities, my, my natural inclinations, my ability to have it together. The breastplate of righteousness says my right standing before man and before God is solely based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. That Jesus dropped his wad of cash in my bank account, and that's my bank account. Not what I earned, or what I didn't earn, but what he earned for me. And that's the breastplate of righteousness. Because then, on either side, whenever you hear that whisper come to your ear, you, you and I, you might, if you're honest, that whisper that comes in those quiet moments, when you're in the car, you don't have any tunes on, you got the sad tune on, right before you fall asleep at night. And that whisper that comes and says, you know what? 
you're not really good enough. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. Or that whisper that comes and says, hey, why don't the people around you respect you more? Because they, like, if they really knew who you were, they would respect you more. They would give you more props. They would give you more doubt if they knew who you were. And when you hear that whisper, you would have the breastplate of righteousness that would protect you and say, no. My ability and value isn't based upon what I am not or what I am. It's based upon the wad of cash that Christ dropped in my bank account for me. The breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15. And that's shoes for your feet. Having put on the readiness, it's kind of a, a wordy, this is kind of a wordy piece, but having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is reminding us that the equipment that's been given to us isn't just defensive, but it's also offensive. It's hearkening back to an Old Testament verse where it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. That means, that means you are ready to advance and to take the good news of the gospel of peace. That once there was war between you and God. Because you remember that battle that we were talking about? You were on the other side. But the good news is that you have been captured and you are now on the right side. And you take that good news to people around you. You take that good news to the people that you work with and the people that are your neighbors with and the people that you play ball with and you bowl with. If you bowl, well, if you bowl. <laughs> and I was just thinking about Jim Gaffigan. He's a, he's a comic. He talks about bowling and he says, like, nobody ever, nobody ever, like, uh, if they heard you went bowling, they never say, oh, I wish I went. They're like, oh, you went bowling. I'm glad I didn't go. <laughs> He, he says, like, people don't, he said, people don't say, like, uh, like, hey, let's go bowling. They say, wouldn't it be hilarious if we went bowling? But if you're a bowler, if you're a bowler, you take it to you, the people that you bowl with. You take the good news of the gospel of peace to them. It's an off, they were given offensive weapons as well as defensive equipment. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can ex extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The, the shield of faith that, that when you, you go in the knowledge that Christ has given you faith, that you didn't have faith on your own. But he came and he gave you faith. Like one day I, uh, I was talking with actually one of the people that, that go here. And, and they were saying how... Actually, Dale was talking to this person. I was talking with somebody else. Two people that go here. And they, they said, like, like, they can't pinpoint the day that it happened. But, like, one day they started coming here. And they weren't a Christian. And then somewhere along the way, they realized something had changed. And now they were. Like, like, like the, that they were given faith. Their once was not faith. And it's by that faith. A supernatural faith that has been given to you. Not your ability to say, I really believe what this says and I'm going to hunker down and I'm going to do this thing. But no, a faith that has been given to you by God to trust him and rely upon him. And whenever those the darts come, whenever, whenever that target is on the back of your head, maybe it's the voice in your head, maybe it's, it could be all kinds of things that's coming after you. 
trying to make you question, trying to make you quail, trying to make you stop, trying to make you rest, trying to make you lay down, trying to make you choose comfort over and security over the, the mission that that faith extinguishes those darts. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spear, which is the word of God. Take the helmet of salvation that you have been saved, that keeps you safe, that holds you together, that you know that, that, that you are held in the hand of God. And that there's nothing anybody can do. If you, today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, then you, there's nothing anybody can do to steal you from the hand of God. Because if he has you in his hand, somebody else has to pry his fingers open to steal you. And who's strong enough to do that? Nobody, absolutely. And so that can give you great boldness in the way that you live your life. If you knew you had nothing to lose, how would you live your life? If I were to send you to Las Vegas today and say, you can bet as much money as you want, up to $2 million, and you have nothing to lose. It's not coming from your bank account. You won't owe anything. Nobody will ever say anything to you. You have $2 million. What are you going to do? How would, you, how, would you, how, would, how would your trip to Vegas be? It'd be crazy is what it would be, but, but, it would, but, but you would play differently if you, know, you knew you had nothing to lose. What if you knew in your life you had nothing to lose? Because the truth is, if you lose your house, your car, friends, comfort and security, but you have salvation, you have everything. And there's nothing you can lose. It's all collateral damage. It's all collateral damage. It's just a flesh wound. Verse 18. And praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. To that end, keep alert. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Because here's, I think, is the biggest issue for you and me today. We are modern Americans. And whether you are rich or poor in this room or somewhere in the middle, we are very comfortable. And we have a lot of security. And it's a lot easier just to roll over in bed than have to get up in the morning and face the tough road. You know what our biggest uh, temptation is as Americans, I believe? It's appeasement. It's to be Neville Chamberlain and to sit across from Hitler and say, I will have peace at whatever the cost is. Just don't make me get uncomfortable. And here's the question for you and me this morning. What is appeasement costing you? This is the question. What is appeasement costing you? What is comfort and security and seeming peace costing you? Because it is costing you something. The, the Britons had a few extra months of peace and comfort and security. But it cost them preparation. You and I can have a few months, a few years, a few decades of 
quiet peace and comfort in the United States of America in the 21st century, but it will cost you something. It will cost you spiritual maturity. It will cost you the adventure of a life on mission. It will cost you the joy of... of ever, ever, have you ever talked to guys who were on a battlefield together and the camaraderie and closeness that they have that transcends everything else from being on the battlefield with somebody and knowing they have your back? There's a joy and camaraderie that comes with that. You will lose that. It will cost you, possibly, though God has this all in his hands, but it, would, it could possibly cost you some way. The joy of being able to lead your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your coworker, your best friend to Jesus Christ and to see them experience the joy of faith that you've experienced and the security and love that you have found in Christ, it will cost you. The question is, what is appeasement costing you? I read this quote by C.S. Lewis. It says, uh, I think it's like his 150th birthday um, somewhere this week. It's an amazing quote. I love it. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Christianity isn't about being comfortable. Because here's the truth. Life is not comfortable. As rich and comfortable as you think you may be, as secure as you think you may be, it's not that secure and it's not that comfortable. Life is a battle that we are all on the, that battlefield. It's a fool who wants, to, who wants to go to war, but it's a greater fool who refuses to admit that he's in one because he's the one that's going to lose everything. In the Myrtle Beach area, 70% of people are not regular attenders of church. I'm going to stick with that stat. In the Myrtle Beach area, 70% of people are not regular attenders of a church. That's 70% of singles, of college students. That's 70% of young married couples. That's 70% of old retired couples. That's 70% of widows. 70% of widowers. That's 70% of young families. 70% of empty nesters. 70% of single moms. 70% of single dads. 70% of abused children. 70% of the marriages that are on the brink. 70% of sexually abused people. 70% of sexually addicted people, 70% of alcohol abusers, 70% of nominal Christians, 70% of sleepy Christians, 70% of atheists, and 70% of agnostics that are not attending a church today. You and I are in a battle, and whether we want to admit it or not, we are in one. And there are cosmically high stakes that are before us. Who are going to reach those 70%? Because I'm going to be honest with you. Even though you've seen a lot of churches pop in the area, there's not a lot of like super great church plants that are wanting to come to Myrtle Beach because that Myrtle Beach is quite honestly not the cool city to come to. 
You're going to go to Memphis, or you're going to go to Charlotte, or you're going to go to Boston. You're not going to come to Myrtle Beach. Who's going to reach them? There's like eight of us in this room. But what if the handful of us that are in this room said, I am going to not walk around the battlefield with my eyes closed and my hands over my ears like nothing's going on, singing la, 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 because I'd rather be comfortable for the moment rather than engage in the mission. What if a handful of people said, no, I'm going to jump in head first into the mission and I'm going to put all my chips on the table because I know I really have nothing to lose and I have everything to gain. What if a handful of people said, we're going to risk it all, we're going to put it all on the line, and we're going to say, God, what would you do with a handful of people engaged in mission, engaged in the battle, who actually strap on the belt and put on the breastplate and put on the helmet and take, take the shield and take the sword and engage in the battle that you've been engaged in from the very beginning of creation? What if you and I did that? Tell you what would happen. Some really cool things would happen. Some really cool stories would come out of it. And we would get to see, because you know what? You and I are removed from, we don't have a proper appreciation for the heroics that are going on with our, our troops in Afghanistan and Iraq and all over the world, because you and I are far removed from it. We might see a report, but you and I aren't there. We don't know what it's like. It's something different whenever you're on the battlefield and you look ahead and you see your captain, your leader ahead of you, leading the charge, and you're roaring in the charge behind him. You get to be a part of making history. In light of what's at stake, in light of the mission that is going on, the battle that is going on, it seems to me an insult to throw ourselves half-hearted into the mission. question again for all of us what is appeasement costing you what is appeasement costing you and what would your life look like well, it would look different than mine but what would your life look like to engage in that mission wholeheartedly the shield and the sword running out to these 70% with a roar. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.